Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the word of God that, uh, that's just amazing. God, it's, it's a bridge into eternity. And so, Lord, we ask that you would grow us and feed us by what you've said in the Bible. Help us to grow and become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I know I've mentioned uh, my stories with Pastor Wayne a lot. It's taken me a few months to share them because I was grieving his passing. Uh, And I still am, but I do remember before he passed, I was there once, and he said, you ever been to Lompoc? And I said, no, but I've heard of it. I said, I, and I think it's far away. He's like, no, 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 it's only like, like two and a half, three hours. I said, Wayne, for me, that's far away. <laughs> like I get there in two and a half, three minutes, that's far away. And uh, he's like, well, he's like, I, I was, I was, I'm, I'm looking for someone to take me there. I'm like, well, okay, I'll, I mean, not really what I wanted to do on a day, but I, we can do that, you know, it's, I understand, and. He eventually got someone else to take him. But after he came back, I, I just asked him, I said, so what's in Lompoc? You know, other than it's close to the beach, I guess. He, and he told me the story about the church that he had pastored there and how uh, he had great friendships there. And he had an encounter with an angel in Lompoc. And uh, he had uh, two or three miracles. I mean, the, kind of the dazzling kind of happened right in front of your face in Lompoc. And so he said, I, I wanted to go and just be there again. And then I got it. Then it clicked. Wayne knows he doesn't have much time left. And he wants to see the places in his life that were powerful and special. And I began to ask myself, do I have places like that in my life that I would go and visit that are powerful and special. If a doctor told you, hey, you have months to live, and you could take a few people, close people to you on a journey, where would you take them to, and why would it be meaningful? And I hope that the places that you would take them to were places that had an eternal impact for you, a lasting impact. Because earth and everything in it is very, very, very temporary. The Bible describes our lives like a blade of grass, which is here today and gone tomorrow. In the grand scheme of things, in the cosmic time and in eternal heaven time, our little jaunt here on earth is really nothing. It goes by very, very quickly. And when we look back on the time that we spent here, My hope, and I think the Bible's hope, is that we would look back and begin to highlight the places where we poured our hearts out to God or where we encountered a touch with the eternity, the eternal love of the Father or something that was able to impact us in our walk with God and in our serving of people. And this is exactly where we're going to find Elijah. See, Elijah would say that the best use of our temporary time on earth is to make that eternal impact for people. The only thing from earth that lasts forever is people, with one exception, our dogs as well. I'm sorry, I have changed this over the years. I have come to see the light. Our dogs, all dogs, they're Christians. I believe me, they are, you know. You can 
kick your dog. You can neglect your dog. You can do a whole bunch of things to your dog. And then what happens when you come through the door? <laughs> just peeing all over the place. You know, so it's just, I mean, our dogs are like gifts from God to show us what love is truly like. Because those little creatures, they love you no matter how many mistakes you make with them. But people and dogs, <laughs> they last forever. But lasting impact in people's lives is not made by watching hours of television, snuggling up for half a day with our iPhones or our iPads. It's not even built on material wealth or earthly success. And more important, legacies are not granted to the impatient. Most of us, if we're human and we'd admit it, we like to seek immediate results. You know, if we're ill, we want to be healed tomorrow. If we're poor, we want to be rich tomorrow. If we're struggling with something, we want to have it gone tomorrow. If we say something, we want people to immediately obey. We don't want them to delay in their obedience. We want them to immediately obey. Immediate success. That's why lottery tickets are so appealing, right? You can buy a lottery ticket one day and by that night, you are a millionaire. What a country we live in. You buy one little piece of paper and you wake up the next day with a million dollars. Fascinating. But let me tell you something. Every single one of you could be a millionaire. Like, ooh, where's Pastor Tom going with this? Okay. For some of you, oddly enough, it might be too late. But, listen to this. If you begin working, say, at the age of 20, and at the age of 20, you put $100 a month into an IRA or a 401k or some sort of retirement account, just $100 a month, in 42 years, by the time you're 62, the interest will compound, everything will compound, and you will have just shy of a million dollars in your bank account. You don't have to buy a lottery ticket. Uh, I suppose you could say it's a little more expensive than a lottery ticket. But everybody wins. Now, in one example, your odds are one in what? 50 million that you might make one million and you buy that ticket and you may buy it every day for the rest of your life and you never win the million dollars. It's the trying to do it the quick way. Or there's the other side where month in and month out over the course of your life, you are faithful to put that $100 away into an IRA or a 401k. And then at some point, you realize it has grown and compounded and you have a million dollars. Success and significance and purpose is for the faithful, not for the one-hit wonders. Amen? And that is overwhelmingly what Elijah is going to be telling us this morning. That faithful, faithful, faithful equals a life of purpose and success and legacy. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. As we go into the very last day of that great Old Testament prophet Elijah's life. Elijah knows that he's going to die. Uh, in fact, he actually doesn't die. He knows that he's going to heaven. 
Elijah knows that this is his last day on earth. And so for his last day on earth, he is going to kind of tour Israel's history and go to all the various places where God did big things in the history of Israel. And he has with him his uh, disciple, his student, Elisha, who's learning everything that he can from this great prophet Elijah. And they're going on a little bit of a tour of Israel. Interestingly enough, Elijah tests Elisha by trying to shake him, by trying to see if he can get rid of him to test Elisha's faithfulness to walk every step of that day with his great mentor, Elijah. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah, and this will be up on the screen too, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. We'll get to that in a moment, what town that is and why it's important. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. We'll get why that's important as well. But Elisha said, now as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Now this is kind of an interesting thing. Elijah is the master. He's the boss. He's the teacher. He's the one where Elisha has said, I will do whatever you say. So Elijah says, I want you to stay here. And Elisha dares to disobey the great prophet. And he says, as surely as God lives and as surely as you are alive, I will not leave you. Because Elisha knew it was his faithfulness being tested. Would he stay with that old mentor to the very end? So, verse 3, moving on. The company of the prophets at Bethel come out and ask Elijah, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master today? And he says, yes, I know. So be quiet. And then Elijah said to him at Bethel, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Once again, a statement of faithfulness. I will not cut and run. And then in verse 5, the company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And Elisha said, yes, I know, be quiet. Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the Jordan River. Now, by now, Elijah probably should have got the hint that he wasn't going to shake Elisha, which was a good thing. And Elisha replies, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walk on. Now, Elijah on his last day, maybe last days, he knows how long this took to walk everywhere. He visits three very important sites in Israel's history. The first site is called Gilgal. This is the place where the free nation of Israel began. This would be like if you wanted to go back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and you wanted to see where the Declaration of Independence was signed, right? 
That, that's where our free nation of America began. The, Gilgal is the Philadelphia to Israel. That's where it all began. This Gilgal was the very first place where that old patriarch Abraham built an altar. In fact, this is the first church. This is the first authorized place of worship that Abraham builds to the one true God right there in Gilgal. This is where it all began in terms of the free nation of Israel. This is also where Samuel, the big high prophet in the Old Testament, judged Israel from Gilgal. This is where after the Israelites had suffered their first military defeat and King Saul went and had a redemption victory. They all reaffirmed their allegiance to King Saul there at Gilgal. But most importantly, this is where Joshua set up the first Israel settlement after the Exodus as he was moving and conquering the promised land. In short, Gilgal is the place of beginnings. It's the place where it all began. Now I want to ask you, do you have a place of beginnings? Do you have a place where it all began? Now I don't just mean your first day at school, your first day on the job, your first day being married. Those are all great things. But I mean your first day where you had a true relationship with God and a true encounter with Jesus Christ. Because that's what Gilgal was for Abraham, where God revealed himself and honored the covenant. What is your Gilgal? What is that place for you? For me, mine only exists in my memory now. The church is gone that I came to faith in. The two pastors that led me to Jesus were murdered for their faith. So my Gilgal has effectively been reduced to just that little part in my memory. But there it lives on, and thankfully I can go there whenever I need to go there to remind myself of the power of the ancient glory that God has placed upon this earth. Maybe your Gilgal is this church or another church a youth camp you went to, a men's camp you went to, some place where you got on your knees and you said, you know what, God, I'm tired of fighting you. I'm tired of living in doubts and unbelief. I'm tired of trying to have to figure out how a tree just appeared there independent of a God making it. I give up the goose, ghost, <laughs> and I surrender my life to you. Where's your Gilgal? The second was Bethel. Bethel is the place of encounter. Bethel is another place <laughs> where Abraham had built an altar to the Lord. You see, if Gilgal was the first place, Bethel was really the second because what happens is you start off with this relationship with God, you start serving God, you start loving Jesus, you start getting into worship, and then you get a few steps down the road and all of a sudden, bam, something in your life crashes. All of a sudden, faith gets hard. All of a sudden, you're not as excited as you once were. All of a sudden, stuff of the world starts creeping in, and, and you just begin to realize, gosh, I'm really getting dry, and I used to be more excited, and now I'm not really excited. Now I feel like I have to go to church. I don't want to go to church. And you, you just get in that dry place. Anybody there right now? No, just kidding. <laughs> Bethel was that place where Abraham got to that spot, and he poured his heart out to God, 
And instead of just surrendering a little, he surrendered it all at Bethel. And in doing so, he had a powerful manifestation of the presence of God right in front of his eyes. For me, my Bethel is a dank basement in Seattle. I was there at the lowest of lows, poor, not knowing where my life was going. I'd been a Christian for a few years, and I remember thinking, man, this is not what I signed up for. And I just, one night I had it out. It was kind of a, you know what, I'm going to stick with this or I'm done. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, and something happened in that room that I can't explain. But the Lord reminded me of something. Just a few weeks earlier, I'd been homeless, living out of my little white truck. And he had led me to that dank little basement. And what I saw as a dank little basement that I was mad that I even had to live in in the first place, he said, wait a minute, this was my first small little answer to prayer. And as I look back over the life, I went from that dank basement to a bedroom in the upstairs. Yes, I was moving up in life. Then I went from that bedroom in the upstairs to this little 800-square-foot house in the middle of ghetto Seattle. Yes, I was moving up in life. But I see God faithfully, step by step, encountering me in all those places. And I remember it began as I was pouring my heart out to him in that dank Seattle basement. And then finally, there's Jericho. Now, Jericho is the place of victory. If you live long enough walking with God, at some point, he's going to give you a big win. And that was Jericho. Jericho was the place of victory. Jericho was the place of overcoming. Jericho was the place of good times and celebration. It was sort of the Normandy beach for the Israelites. It was their first great victory where they knew the tide of the war had changed and that God was, you know, that they were on their way to winning and doing what God had called them to do. Now our Jerichos are probably going to be a little different. They're going to be more internal. For some it may be the place where they overcame addiction. For others it may be the place where they overcame anger or laziness or low self-esteem or self-doubt or self-hatred or unsatiable lust, or instinctual pride, or rebellion. All the major battles that our lives have to overcome. It can also be a long-awaited prayer. Maybe there's been something you've been crying out and praying out to God for 10 plus years. You start scratching your head going, you know, should I even pray that anymore? I prayed for 10 years. God hasn't done nothing. Maybe God is trying to tell me, no, no. And yet, deep down, you know it is right to keep praying for it. And you just get exhausted because 10 years has gone by. 10 years for us is a lot of time. 10 years for God could be two seconds. Who knows? And yet, one day comes where whether or not you were expecting that answer or not, you see God begin to move in that situation. And it's a Jericho. It's a place of victory. And it may have been 10 to 15 to 20 years in the making. It could be <clears throat> that your job is starting to finally make some money or starting to finally go better. Your kids are beginning to own their own walk with God. Whatever the thing that God called you to in life, whether it was work, relationships, or weaknesses, and you've experienced victory in that, and it's a place of remembrance.
for me, I don't think I have this one yet. I don't think I've had my Jericho. I've had victory, and I've had victories. I've seen some great things, but there are far, far bigger things I've been praying for. And when that Jericho comes, you betcha I'm going to enjoy that moment. And it's worth the wait. It's almost like the joy is building the more the rubber band gets pulled back. But I can't say I maybe have had that Jericho yet. Maybe you can't either. Maybe there's some things that you're like, you know what, I wish I had victory over these things in my life. But my anger still gets the best of me. Or I wish I had victory over the lusts and the pride. But I'm, I'm still in a little bit of bondage to that. But I stay in faith. Know that your Jericho is coming if you stick with the Lord. Amen. Elijah, he finishes this tour at the Jordan River, which is huge in the Bible. I, I will not go through all of it because uh, we'll be here all day, but the Jordan River itself is huge in the Bible. Now, the important note in the story is not just what is your Gilgal, what is your Bethel, and what is your Jericho, but the fact that Elisha never left the side of Elijah. And that's the neat thing for me about this story. Because you see, Elijah's greatest accomplishment wasn't just in saving Gilgal or Bethel or Jericho. They were great places of remembrance, but the man standing at his side was the greatest achievement for Elijah's life. Because you see, legacies are not about places or buildings or mere memories. Legacies are about people. They're about investing in people. Significance is not found in the people who cheer for you in one moment and abandon you in the next. But the people who, like Elisha, they want to travel through your life with you because of who you are and what you stand for. That is what was significant and valuable to them. So if you have a chance to take your wife out on a date or be with your husband, or get a little bit of extra work done before the weekend, pick your wife. If you have a choice between watching your favorite TV shows all day, or spending time with your kids, or spending time with your parents, pick your kids, pick your parents. If you have a little extra money, but a friend or a family member has a reasonable need that you can meet, Pick the need. Pick the need and scoop purpose and significance and legacy into your soul. By picking people and putting their needs above yours, we become what we were created to be, the image of God on earth. God created a wonderful planet. God created fish in the sea, water, air, birds, and animals, trees, plants, gardens, and all this stuff has a nice ecological harmony. You know what's the odd one out? We are. We are. We are like nothing God has ever created, or at least that we can see on the earth. We are not animals. 
we are so different from the animals, don't even get me started. We are not related to trees or plants as much as the people in Seattle tried to convince me we were. We are, we, we are different. We have the image of God stamped on us to take care of the animals and to tend to the plants and to be the work and presence of image of God on the earth. And when we do what we were just talking about, we become that image and we build the legacy God has for us. Amen? Amen. If you have a discussion sheet, you want to flip it over, I'm just going to give you three things and then we'll conclude for the day. The first one is this. Number one, God measures significance by faithfulness more than success. God measures significance by faithfulness, not visible success. Most people wrongly conclude that in order to feel significant, in order to feel like you really contributed to society, you have to be a world shaker or a world changer, some sort of vice president or a CEO. Jobs and lives that are measured with visible results, big, noticeable, visible results. The brilliant people with microphones in front of their faces, or the beautiful people with cameras in front of their bodies, politicians and war heroes, sports MVPs and famous inventors. If we were to go by that definition, then I would submit this to you. Elijah was a terrible failure. Because see, Elijah had no visible results, had no visible success. He tried to turn the people's hearts back to God. And he failed. He called down fire from heaven. Thousands of people saw it. And not one of them turned back to God. If we're talking about visible results and numbers that we can market, get Elijah out of here. He's a failure, even though he worked more miracles than almost any other man on earth. So what made Elijah a success? His faithfulness. His faithfulness to God. Day in and day out. It wasn't perfect. Elijah had moments where he was running just like sometimes we have moments when we're running. Elijah had moments where he wanted to die. Elijah had moments where he struggled with doubt. Elijah had moments where he was struggling with depression. Elijah had moments where he isolated himself and he was all alone. He was human, but he was faithful. And God measured his faithfulness and made Elijah an MVP in heaven because God measures faithfulness as the marker of success, not just the visible results. Extraordinary people are not flashes in the pan that are cheering for you today and gone tomorrow. Champions today, but forgotten memories of a bygone era. There are people who stubbornly follow God and trust Him for the results. In fact, Hebrews 11 says that the greatest things that you did, you may not even live to see them. It may be in a person you helped 
or a child you raised or a great-great-grandchild that is receiving something through the generations that you deposited in your family. You may not even see it. But the faithfulness and the stubbornness to follow God day in and day out and trust Him for the results, you will be an MVP in heaven. Just like everyone who puts $100 away from the time they're 20, you'll be a millionaire. Amen? How does this work out in the real world? Continue to give your best to a boss that never expresses any appreciation for you. Continue to love your spouse even when that love isn't reciprocated. Continue to pray and be kind to your children even if they remain in rebellion. Continue to tolerate the weaknesses of other people even if you never see signs of change. Be faithful. Number two, God measures significance by how we handle many little things, not just one big thing. Ever heard the phrase, accept the small stuff? Jesus has a version of this in the Gospel of Luke where he says in Luke chapter 16, verse 10 and 11, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with a little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who will trust you with the true riches? It's being faithful in the little that God could make you faithful over much. What is being faithful in the little? It's taking five minutes a day and praying with your wife before you go off to work, praying with your husband, praying with your kids. Spending 10 minutes listening to your spouse's day before you drift off to sleep. It's telling your kids and your parents each and every day how much you love them, even if they've already passed on. You know, 150 years ago, it wasn't so easy to tell people you love them if they didn't live close, right? Because 150 years ago, we did this thing called writing. Remember that? It was on a piece of and we folded it up and put it in a, and then we had this little sticker called a, and we took it to something called a, and it went over the mail, right? Yeah. It could take weeks to tell somebody you love them. What a world we live in. Look at this thing. This thing can say I love you in, let's count them. I can call, right? I can text, right? I can Facebook message, right? I can Instagram message, right? I can Snapchat. Oh, Gmail, yeah, six. There's six, there's probably 10 different ways I could tell my kids, my wife, and my parents that I love them. And I can do it in 84 seconds. You may say, 84 seconds, where'd you get that number? I tried it. It works. 84 seconds of the day. Every single day, you'd be amazed at the legacy you leave behind when you just communicate to people, I love you. Amen? Number three, God measures significance by what he sees, not what he hears. I can tell God, God, I'm going to do this for you. God, I'm going to do that for you. God, I'm going to do so many things for you. 
I can tell my wife, Tanya, I'm going to do this for you. Tanya, I'm, I'm going to do all of these things for you. But here's a lesson you learn in life pretty quickly. Don't watch people's lips. Watch their feet, right? Watch what they actually do, not what they're going, not what they're going to say they're going to do. Jesus had a parable about this. He said a father had two sons, and he asked them to work in the vineyard. One son said, yes, I'll go work, and never worked in the vineyard. The other son said, no, I don't want to do that but then ended up feeling convicted and went and worked in the vineyard. And Jesus said, it was the one who did it and worked in the vineyard that was blessed that day. What does that kind of tell us? God doesn't always take stock in our words. He's watching our feet. He's watching what we actually do. And this kind of hit me when I thought to myself, if any one of you could like become a fly, and you buzzed around and watched me for a day. Would I be who I say I am? Would you learn how to pray through hard times by watching me that day? Would you learn how to apologize when you lose your temper if you watch me that day? Would you see how to pray for your wife and kids if you watch me that day? We are what we do. Not what we say we do. The key to purpose and significance and legacy is faithfulness. Now here's the thing. Will you be perfect in your faithfulness to God every day? N-O, no. There's only one person on earth who was ever perfect in his faithfulness to God every day, and you're not it. Who is his name? Jesus. Jesus. God's not acting to be perfect in this. But when you point your compass in your direction to say, you know what? I want to live a life of faithfulness in the areas of my life which God has called me to. For me, it's a husband, a father, and a pastor. I think those are it. I'm also a son. What else am I? A friend. All right. And a citizen. Okay. Obviously, the list gets bigger. But... I think you get my point. In those roles where I am called to be faithful, to not quit, to not give up, to not toss in the towel, to not keep waiting for the big things in life to happen, but to be faithful in those little things every single day. And one day, hopefully about 40 or 50 years from now, I'll be like Elijah. I'll go to my Gilgals, I'll go to my Bethels, and I'll go to my Jerichos. And I'll have earned a legacy, a legacy of faithfulness, a legacy that only God can give. By the time Elijah and Elisha made it to the Jordan River, Elijah was done. Elijah, Elisha was there and he was sad. He knew that in a few moments he wouldn't see Elijah this side of heaven again. And yet he never left his side. And before Elijah left, he took off his prophetic cloak, the mantle. He placed it on Elijah. And he said, Elijah, the Lord is going to grant you a double portion. Not because you're good looking. Not because you're rich, not because you're funny, but
but because you are faithful. Amen? Amen. So I ask you this morning, what is your Gilgal? That place of beginning. Do you have one? If you don't, I pray that this morning right here at LifePoint Church will be your Gilgal. What is your Bethel? That place of encounter after you've taken those first few steps and opposition and discouragement set in. Or where is the Jericho? The place where God gave you a big win. You were lonely and crying out for a husband or a wife. And God brought that person. You were poor, could barely put food on the table. God brought that job. You were in addiction and you wanted to be free. And God broke the power of that addiction. The Jerichos of life. If you could, why don't we all stand together? And let's pray together as one body. Just pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for my Gilgals. Thank you for my Bethels. And thank you for my Jerichos. May they continue to come as I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may live faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.